The Irish immigration system is not a soft touch. Well, that's according to the Irish Refugee Council who are commenting on the plans to move 50 male asylum seekers into a former hotel in Ballinrobe in County Mayo. Now, this had led to protests in the town since last Friday over the proposal. However, the plans have now changed with the Department of Integration confirming the former hotel will now receive 50 families and children instead. A protest which had been ongoing since Friday has now been called off as news of the change was heard. Uh, The situation there had led to the Taoiseach saying that while he totally acknowledged that people locally have concerns and fears and that their fears must be allayed with communication and provided information, Leo Varadkar went on to say that nobody in a free society, nobody in a democracy, has a right to exercise a veto on who moves into their area or community. So we want to know what you think. Is our immigration system a soft touch? And should communities have a veto uh, on who moves in? Uh, to discuss all of this further, we are joined by the CEO of Doris, John Lannan. John, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thanks very much for being with us. So there is, uh, there appears to be, John, a perception out there that Ireland's immigration system is a soft touch. Is it, in your view, should we be doing more to check on asylum seekers and international protection applicants arriving here? Um, we agree with our friends in the Irish Refugee Council um, and, in fact, with most people in the country that Ireland's um, international protection system or, indeed, what their immigration system is not... Um, a soft touch. There, there are processes in place. Um, for example, if you look at the international protection system, anybody who comes into the country um, and seeks protection or asylum goes through a rigorous process that's overseen by the International Protection Office and they're fully documented. Their application is processed while they're awaiting the application processing. They get 38 euro 80 a week, which is um, hugely inadequate when it comes to trying to survive and just uh, pay for the the very basics of life. Um, And if at the end of the process um, a determination of refugee status and and permission to remain is granted to a person then they can get on with their lives here. If it's not then they can go through an appeal process which will eventually lead to a conclusion on the application for asylum. Okay, we've got to get get that sense of that because not only were the Irish Refugee Council uh, saying that our immigration system is not is is not a soft touch, they've said it's it's rigorous and sometimes adversarial, which seems to be the the opposite view uh, uh, that that's out there amongst some people. We hear a lot of talk about unvetted asylum seekers coming here, and indeed, you know, amongst the messages we've received this morning was one along those lines. Uh, saying uh, that uh, these people are coming here from countries where they can't be vetted, says this listener. So it's a lie to say they are vetted. Um, can, can you maybe enlighten some people or explain about this? Because we keep hearing this word about these people aren't vetted. Are they not vetted? Are they vetted? And if they are, in what way are they vetted? There are a lot of words being thrown around that are completely off the mark and and irrelevant. Um, The the question of vetting doesn't arise. That's a process that people go through with the Gardaí if they're going to be working with children or vulnerable adults. Um, People who come into the country seeking international protection, as I said, go through a very rigorous process, which again I would um, concur with the Irish Refugee Council to say is quite, quite adversarial and challenging and can be very difficult sometimes for people to be able to produce the evidence to demonstrate the 
um, the, the, the persecution or the, the torture or the risks that they have faced in, in their own country. But there is a process um, where um, full documentation is gathered in relation to, to the application. People who are in that system are probably more documented than most of us are in the country as a result of their their application for asylum. Um, and I think we you know, we have to bear in mind that when it comes to people seeking protection, there are ordinary men, women um, with children sometimes who have faced very difficult, challenging, often life-threatening situations in their home countries. They've had to escape. They've had to try to find sanctuary in a country like Ireland and the least that they deserve is to be treated with dignity and respect when they come here. But John, also, isn't everyone seeking asylum here fingerprinted? Like they're fingerprinted, and those fingerprints go onto an EU-wide database to to check if they've claimed asylum elsewhere, and to check if they're on criminal databases. That, that no one is exempt from that. No, absolutely. I mean, there are full rigorous checks done. There are. Um, processes across the European Union, as you say, that will confirm if the individual has um, been in another EU country. Um, there is incidentally also a misinformation out there that's often quoted about people having to make an application in the first country they arrive in. That is not the case. However, um, because, you know, we, we have to and we do process applications from everybody who arrives at the country and the International Protection Act itself recognises that anybody who arrives at the um, frontiers or the borders of the state, either lawfully or unlawfully, it says, has a right to seek asylum. So again, if we talk about people arriving without documentation, for example, or, you know, that that may be out of necessity. There's, there's a lot of... Um, Prayer, a lot of talk given to to people destroying passports. There's no evidence to suggest that that happens to any significant extent. However, people sometimes have to escape without their 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 paperwork or without the passports that they that we'd expect to to be able to apply for here in Ireland. If you're coming from Syria, for example, you can't line up outside a government agency get a passport before you make your way to Ireland. The chances are that you would be tortured or you could find that you would face death if you tried to do that. Yeah, I mean, we'll, and we will d- discuss it in more detail a little further on about w- what the government should do in terms of maybe more communication or consultation with people uh, around these issues. But uh, could the government do better in terms of getting this information out there about how asylum seekers and international protection applicants are checked, uh, as we've just outlined, uh, that they are fingerprinted and so on? Uh, or would it even matter if the government put all that information out there, like the listener who says it's a lie to say they're vetted, there's just no getting through to those people. Well, there's unfortunately a small number of people in Ireland now who are intentionally spreading disinformation or lies about asylum seekers. And what's worrying is that that information is getting to people, perhaps like your listener, who is wondering if it's true or not. So there is certainly a need for for government um, to do better when it comes to communicating the rights that asylum seekers have and to um, ensuring that people fully understand that everybody is here um, legally if they're seeking asylum, that there are no threats to to people in communities from people who are here seeking asylum and and so on. So we, we 
we would like to see government doing better on that. We would also like to see government um, doing better and ensuring better, um, more investment when it comes to, to community engagement and particularly around um, the, the, the community work. You know, um, far-right mobilisation and misinformation, as I said, is certainly posing challenges to, to communities. But, you know, people who are on the ground, community workers, they've known and, and, and understand and are good at proper, sustained engagement over time. They know the frustrations that exist within communities as well because of a lack of services, and we certainly have to acknowledge that. But again, asylum seekers haven't caused that, um, and, and community workers on the ground understand. They know that as well, so we need to see more investment in that area too. Just before we move on from the topic of vetting and uh, checking someone's credentials or bona fides, uh, to give you an example, John, we've had a text in on 86 and it also touches on a point you're making there about maybe insufficient services. Uh, This listener says, hello, how can a vetting system in Europe find out the history of an asylum seeker from, say, South Sudan or Chad, for example? How will they be integrated? What mental health services will be provided as ours are far below the level needed? Well, well, um, first of all, you know, again, we would say that we have an international protection office. We have a process that documents and looks at the the um, the, the the, the backgrounds that people who are applying for international protection have. We also have an international protection accommodation service that um, is hard-pressed right now to provide accommodation, but is charged with doing that. We have a reception conditions directive in the country, a piece of legislation that outlines the basic needs of people that should be um, addressed. It covers things like ensuring that if people have particular vulnerabilities, if they have particular health needs, that those are capable for. There are professionals, plenty of professionals in the country who have experience, who have knowledge and who have an understanding of what types of services need to be provided from people from, from all different backgrounds. Sadly, we don't have enough investment in any of our services here when it comes to mental health in particular. So we would like to see more investment across the board in that, not just for asylum seekers, but for everybody. I'd be interested to get your take on what's been happening in Ballinrobe. As I mentioned uh, at the outset, the the protests that have been going on over the weekend, uh, they finished yesterday. There is still a presence being maintained by, by protesters last night and it is now children and families who are due to move into that vacant hotel in the town uh, rather than uh, 50 male uh, asylum seekers. What have you made of what's been going on up there? Well, for, first of all, the fact that there's a presence being maintained outside the hotel is is undermining the claims that were made by people that they only objected to to men, you know. And again, we have we we we've people that are travelling the length and breadth of the country, spreading disinformation and and are stoking fears and anxieties within communities. Quite quite unreasonably and unfairly because we have to remember in these cases that you know the international protection applicants suffer and right now we've got based on the latest figures from um, the department 457 people who are out in the freezing cold these nights without being provided with any accommodation or any food or anything by by the state and that's happening while the beds in Ballinrope and in other parts of the country are being are, are being blocked from from use um, it's good that 
the hotel in Ballinrobe if it can be used to accommodate um, with women and children. But again, we have to remember that, and communities have to remember that men have to flee war and persecution too. In fact, they're often more likely to be targeted by violent or oppressive regimes. Communities should also remember that there is no greater threat of criminality or violence from men than there is from from um, from from other parts of the world and any other parts of of the the country. Um, and John, that point world. really needs to be made because there is this recurring uh, line or issue, as we've seen up in Ballarob, that if it's fifty, or that if it's men, or if it's single men, that instantly that means. I don't know, they're predatory or that it's going to be bad news or they're going to be evil. Um, how, but how can you tar everyone like that with the same brush, which seems to be going on on an all-too-regular basis? It does seem to be going on on an all-too-regular basis indeed because we haven't or we seen the same level of opposition when rugby teams or um, stag parties have arrived to, to the same lo- locations of, over the years. Um, and, and I mean, we, we, we have to acknowledge said that, you know, c- communities have been... Um, frustrated and angered by lack of services over the years and if you look at a town like Ballinrobe in many respects it's it's, it's a bit like a, a shell of a town now with the, the number of buildings that are closed down, shops that have closed it etc. And, and John, um, sorry to go across we're, 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 we're talking about Ballinrobe but the, the situation you just described there, this could be any it town, could. it could be in Clare, it could be anywhere it could be, and, and there are many, many examples of these towns around the country, as you say. But why not use the opportunity of the arrival of more people to breed life into the town and to get the additional services that are needed? You know, we, we need communities to start looking at this as an opportunity. You know, if, if 50 um, people arrive into a community, if they have a right to work, if they can, um, if they're spending that money locally, if they're joining the local football teams, the tidy towns, if they're, as I said, breathing life into the community, then that's positive for everybody. But unfortunately, what's happening now is that communities are being split. They're being divided by people spreading disinformation, stoking these fears. And we, we've seen it right across the country where division happens and that division within the communities takes years it could take generations to 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 resolve so when the the far right in particular the ones that are behind a lot of this disinformation are going into the communities doing what they're doing they're leaving lasting damage not just for the asylum seekers not just for other homeless people for whom they can't get 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 the accommodation that they need because the buildings are being burned down, but for the communities themselves who are left with the scars of what has happened as a result of the the, 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 the boiling over of anger and frustration as the arson attacks and so on. Uh, this situation in Ballarobe where we now see, I don't, uh, how, uh, do you view it as a success of sorts that at least this uh, facility is going to be used to house some asylum seekers or do you have concerns around the fact that, OK, 50 people are going to have a roof over their heads, but it was changed from 50 males to 50 uh, families and, and children and that these males now will, will still have to be uh, accommodated elsewhere if possible? I think you, you, you summed it up there nicely in that it's, it's a success of sorts, but 
um, again, going back to, to the words that, that Leo Varadkar said um, in a statement a couple of days ago, that nobody has a right to a veto on who arrives into their community. That's something that has to be um, understood and remembered by everybody. And But has this said, know, has what has, John, is what has happened in Ballinrobe now set a precedent um, that effectively I, that was a veto on display and now other communities where this might happen will say, well, if we dig our heels in, we will get this veto of sorts. I, I, I hope not. I hope communities in, in other parts of the country will have the good sense to recognise that um, if, if it's men that arrive into the community, then there's a lot of positives from that. They can get out and about and, and, and become part of the community in ways that um, families might, mightn't be able to. So um, I, I think, you know, there's another aspect to this that that is um, concerning as well, and that has to be mentioned. And it's, I suppose, you know, the fact that there are local political representatives right across the country that are listening to the rubbish that the far right are um, com- coming out with and, and are echoing that. Um, we, we've seen the flip-flopping of politicians and the issue of immigration, you know, right across all the main political parties. Um, and instead of them making it clear that Ireland has obligations to provide for the basic needs of asylum seekers and making it clear that communities don't get to choose who lives where, we see them pandering to the far right using the same inflammatory language and sometimes even standing with them. And they are doing their communities a huge disservice. And, as I said, we'd have to remember as well that the consequences of what is happening in in many cases is that there are now over 450 men trying to survive in the freezing cold out on the streets because the beds that the Department of Children want to use can't be brought into use. Yeah, and you'd want to have been in a desperate situation that you're escaping from to come here and go through that. Um, just to finish, John, um, you've been very good with your time. Just to give you a sense of what's coming in in our message, a listener here on 086-1800-964 asking, if we are a democracy, can we have a referendum on this massive issue? Well, I, I don't want to preempt you, John, but I would say probably not because we have international obligations, as does every other country. So it's not about having a referendum to decide whether or not we want to take in asylum seekers. We have international obligations. We have legislation here. We have moral obligations as well as the legal obligations. We don't have a referendum on whether tourists come from America or from some other parts of the world. So we don't need to have a referendum about whether or not we continue to uphold our legal obligations when it comes to seeking international protection. That's a, that's a, a non-runner. Another one here says, if your house is repossessed by a bank, you cannot force the state to house you by court action. An asylum seeker doesn't need a law to make the state house uh, an Irish citizen. This is causing anti-asylum seekers feeling it's about housing. The state can't house an ever-increasing amount of people when there is no housing. And then just lastly, Fergus has sent in a message saying, good morning, Alan. We hear that most asylum uh, protection seekers don't have passports when they arrive here, yet you cannot get on a plane without a passport. Will you ask John to clarify if this is true? Um, I I think that this um, trope about people not having passports is greatly exaggerated. Um, As I said, you know, some people have to travel without passports out of necessity. If they manage to make it to Ireland, they have done so probably because they have had to do it. They can make their application for for asylum. I, I think we should stop focusing on 
how people have arrived here and whether or not they have passports or, or other forms of paperwork and, and ask ourselves why people have had to come here and ask ourselves how as a society that has been welcomed and as a country and a people that have been welcomed all over the world and as a country that has by and large over the decades shown welcome to to people why are we now turning our backs on that and why are we saying that some people are not welcome here why are we trying to exclude them from our communities from our societies when we know that the, the diversity and the richness of culture the skills that they bring could only be of benefit to us. Uh, just last two to read out. The government are out of touch with people on the grounds of this listener. Small communities are forgotten. Why would anyone think it's okay to effectively dump large numbers of people in very rural conditions that no supports is mind-boggling. Government policy is to deflect from their actions. Their only response is to accuse people of being right-wing or immigration system is easy to manipulate. Uh, we can, all can agree there's misinformation and circulation on social media. On the other side, there's the information that is accurate. The asylum process takes a number of years and is not completed on first interview in relation to vetting. This can only be done with countries that have similar systems to those maintained in Europe. This fact has to be acknowledged. Government actions are breeding contempt and I think everyone except the government need to probably do better in terms of interactions with communities. And then lastly, uh, one here says there is still a presence uh, there because it's not unknown uh, for families to be uh, still a presence in Ballon Road because it's not unknown for families to be promised but single men turn up. And then goes on to say at the end that we do not have, inter- I don't have time to read it all out, but it says at the end uh, that we don't have international obligations and uh, that there are 4,000 homeless children in Ireland. Uh, well, we do have international obligations. That's it's as simple as that. Again, it's, it's, it's disappointing there, and I'm not sure what, what sample of, of comments that you have read out, but um, there, there's a lot of um, misinformation in, in there as well, and people who either don't fully understand the, the, the process or are um, mis, misrepresenting it. Um, there is They're saying, no this, you know, this listener saying, we like Norway have an opt-out of taking in uh, asylum seekers, but, but the government's choosing not to use it. We have a process, and that process is followed. It's the International Protection Office that have responsibility for all applications for asylum. But going back to the comment in relation to to services and lack of services, there is no doubt that there's a lot of work needed in terms of ensuring better services for for all here. We have a particular problem in the country when it comes to um, accommodation and and the lack of housing, and we have 13,000 Irish people who are homeless as well. We need to ensure that we can provide accommodation for everybody here in Ireland and we need to stop blaming asylum seekers or making them suffer for the failures of the state to provide for for others. We can understand the frustrations and the angers that people may have in communities but again you know the, the, the people who are coming here seeking international protection are not the ones to be blamed for the failures to provide services or to provide housing. Very true. Uh, there's so many more messages coming in, but uh, but we do have to leave it there. But John, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us this morning on that and, and debunking a few uh, w- widely held uh, myths or views that are out there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.